Well, welcome again, everyone. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. We're glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online, we're glad you found us there. Uh, there's a chat feature there on our YouTube channel. If you would, let us know where you're watching from. We've got people watching from all over the country, uh, connecting with us from other countries as well, and we love to hear from you. If you've got any questions or prayer needs, you can put those in the chat feature there as well. We are this week in the final week of a series we've been doing called Hope is Here. And, and so far in this series, we've looked at how, how Jesus brings us hope even when we're tired and weary, and he says, come to me, and I will give you rest. And then we looked at how he can bring hope to the brokenness in our lives. He can heal and restore us even when we're broken. And he offers forgiveness when we have failed to be who we ought to be and what we ought to be. And then last week, we looked at how we have hope even if we're the underdog. And we looked at David and Goliath, right? Uh, and kind of like Kentucky versus Georgia, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, did I bring that up again? I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to bring that up again. Uh, but, but, but teams that aren't expected to beat another team, you know, you go up against them. Sometimes Goliath wins, sometimes, you know, David wins. Uh, and in this case, we're thankful that, that we have the example of how David went up against all odds as the underdog, and God used him to bring a great victory. And it infused hope in the rest of his people when he did that, when he acted in faith like that. And we can be those, those uh, beacons of hope for our family and friends and communities when we have that hope in us. Well, today we're looking at the last one, which is hope for the doubter. I don't know how many people are really honest about it, but, but my feeling is all of us have moments, at least, of doubt when it comes to our faith and our walk with God. That doesn't make you a failure in any way that you've suffered moments of doubt. What we're going to learn today is the key about doubting is what you do with it. How do you respond when you have the doubts that you're struggling with? It's hard to know what to believe sometimes. Have you ever heard some information that for you seemed too good to be true? I mean, I've had people tell me things sometimes I thought, boy, I hope that's true. That would be great, right? If that was true, that would be great. But you hear the response there? I, I hope it turns out to be true, right? There's some question there. There's some doubt there. I've got a few things here I want to, I want to read to you, share with you. And I want you uh, online, I want you to do this, Smyrna Campus, you join us too. I want you to raise your hand if you believe this statement is true and keep your hand down if you think this is a false statement, okay? So true or false, do you doubt it or do you trust it? The first one is this. Did you know that every day on average, 11 banks are robbed in the United States? Every day, 11. How many of you believe that's true? A lot of you raise your hand, and it is true. Every day, on average, 11 banks get robbed in the United States. Well, here's another one, okay? They have square watermelons in Japan because they stack better. How many of you believe it's true? I only see a few hands. That's actually true. They grow them into a box mold. They grow in there. They do stack better for shipping and everything. Uh, they don't roll off the piles, right? When you have them, they're, they're kind of more cube rectangle shape, but yeah, they're, they're square, generally speaking. All right. True or false? You're more likely to get stung by a bee in windy weather. You think that's true? Raise your hand. In windy weather. 
you're more likely to get stung. I see a few hands. That's false. Uh, <laughs> and no indication that wind has anything to do with getting stung by a bee. Reaching your hand in a beehive, however, increases the odds a lot. So, all right. Here's another one. I think I'll close with this one. Penguins can smell toothpaste from a mile away. You believe it's true? Raise your hand. Penguins can smell toothpaste. Yeah, Mamie thinks it's true. Anybody else? No, that's false. <laughs> that one is false. It's hard to tell these days what to trust, who to trust, and what to doubt, and who to doubt. I mean, there's so much. Uh, we have today more access to more information than we've ever had before. Don't, because of internet and all that, you have access to more information. Now, it doesn't mean it's true or false, but there's more information that you have access to than you've ever had before. Maybe you've seen the meme. I saw it again the other day. I think it was on Facebook or maybe Instagram. It says, don't believe everything you read on the internet. A lot of it's not true. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> right? Just because it's on the internet doesn't make it real or true. We know that. So we have to be careful. And so we have to work through these doubts that we have. And even when it comes to our faith... Sometimes it's hard to sort through all the stuff, especially in moments of crisis or loss where your world has just been shaken to the core. Can you really trust what you say you believe about Jesus, about your faith in him and your trust in him? Does it hold up in moments of crisis and fear that you're facing? Or if you do have doubts, how do you handle it when you do? Well, in the example we have today, we, we see that we're certainly not alone in this struggle. After Jesus was crucified, remember the, the disciples saw him be beaten and, and, and nailed to a cross. They saw his dead body taken off the cross and put into the grave, and they sealed up the grave. And, and after seeing all of that, like Thomas said in the video we saw earlier, the guy playing Thomas, we give him, I think, a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, but every one of them doubted in those hours following the crucifixion. Every one of them. You know what it says they were doing? Hiding in fear in the hours after the crucifixion. I mean, when you witness something like that, it shakes you to your core. This is their rabbi. This is their teacher. This is the one they left everything to follow this man. And they believed him to be the Messiah, the deliverer, the one who would issue in a new kingdom where he would rule forever. And, and now they see his dead body be put in a grave. Don't you think that might stir up a little doubt? Maybe we didn't really understand. Maybe, maybe we miss understood what he was saying about his kingdom and about being a king. Maybe, we, maybe he wasn't being truthful with us about all of that. I mean, how could a dead man deliver on those things? It never happened before, right? Why should we trust that it's going to happen this time? Well, 
A week before Thomas got to see Jesus, the other disciples were in his upper room and Jesus appeared to them after he had resurrected. And I want you to understand, if you go back and read it in the gospel accounts, he, he showed them already his side and his hands. All the other disciples had already seen it. Now, why his side and his hands? Because his hands had been pierced by the nails, right? His side had been pierced by that spear when he was on the cross there. When they made sure he was dead, they, they struck uh, his side with a spear and, and water and blood poured forth, showing that he had died. And, and when they saw that, they had the evidence they needed to get rid of their doubts. But Thomas had not been there that night in that upper room. But those disciples, when they found Thomas, they started telling him, Jesus is alive. We saw him. We, we saw his hands and the scars. We saw his side. We, we know it was him. And that's where we pick up today with the guy we call Doubting Thomas. Right? Isn't that the, the monocle we put on Thomas, usually Doubting Thomas? I've said for years, I think it's a bad rap because he's not the only one. But why does he get the one, right? The one that we call Doubting Thomas. Because the others doubted until they saw it too. Just like Thomas. Well, we're going to pick up here in, in John's account uh, of this in John chapter 20. Uh, we'll pick up with, with verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, here's his response. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I will not believe. It says in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. I think he decided not to miss any more meetings after that first report. You know how sometimes you think, you know, this could have been an email. We didn't have to have a meeting. He knew this wasn't an email kind of thing. This was a meeting he needed to be at. So he's showing up for the meetings now. Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. The first point on your outline today that I really want us to think about is why we doubt. We doubt, I believe, most often to protect ourselves. I know we don't think about it that way a lot, but I think that's why we doubt things a lot of times, is to protect ourselves. Somebody tells you something good and you want to believe it, but why would you have doubt? Why would you not believe it right away. Here's the thing. You don't want to get your hopes up if it's something you really want to be true. Right? You don't want to get your hopes up yet until you can check it out a little more, until you can know for sure that it's true. I mean, think about it. What's the first thing we say when we're given good news? Oh, no way, man. Right? Isn't that what we say a lot of times? Yeah, are you serious? I am, Tony. I'm serious. <laughs> you see, a week, 
of doubting has taken place with Thomas now because he's heard the other disciples say what happened. And believe me, after leaving everything and following Jesus for three years and and having him mentor him for three years, more than anything, he would love to believe that Jesus is alive. But man, more than anything, he doesn't want to get his hopes up and be hurt and let down again. Isn't that like us a lot of times? Maybe you've had a failed relationship and now you're in another one and you'd like to think, boy, this is the one. It's going to be great. But you don't want to get your hopes up too much because you got hurt so bad when the last one failed, right? It's hard to start trusting again when you've been hurt or let down or suffered loss, isn't it? You might get that job this time. Your name's on the list and you were on the list before and it didn't happen, so... Everybody says, oh, you're a shoe-in this time. Well, do you want to get your hopes up too much? Maybe not, because you've been let down before, right? You see how this works? We, we have doubt, and we use it to protect ourselves, we think. We're protecting ourselves from getting hurt again. I think it's pretty obvious Thomas is trying to protect himself from getting his hopes up too much, that maybe Jesus really is alive. But he shows up for the meeting anyway. I don't know if the other guys are still giving him a hard time. You know how goofy guys, you could give each other a hard time a little bit? Well, we all saw him and you weren't here, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't believe, right? Yeah, you know, have a little faith there, Thomas. I I don't know if they were riding him or not, giving him a hard time or not, but he's there. At least he showed up again, right, when they gathered in that upper room. And the doors are locked. Now, why do they have the doors locked? Remember? They're still afraid. Even the ones who saw Jesus already are still afraid. Why? Because they just killed Jesus, right? What are they going to do to them? Even though Jesus is alive again and they've seen him, they still have enemies out there that want to stop this Jesus thing. So they have the doors locked, and it says Jesus appeared to them in the room. It's almost exactly the same description as the way he did it the first time when Thomas wasn't there. And I think that's important because what Jesus is doing here in his response to Thomas, to me, is one of the most compassionate things when you think about it. He's allowing Thomas to have the exact same experience that the other disciples had had who did come to believe. What do we tend to do with people when they doubt in the church sometimes? Uh, we come down hard on them. We, we say, I can't believe you're having doubts. I can't believe you're having We just sometimes are really hard on Christ followers who struggle with doubt. But notice he appears just like he did the first time. And the first thing he says after peace, because <laughs> they all were scared, of course. If you're sitting in a room with the doors locked and there's a new person in there all of a sudden, it would scare you. It's, it would scare me, right? I would be afraid if all of a sudden there's somebody showed up there with the doors locked and nobody came in through the door. I would be scared too. But there's Jesus and he says peace. But then the first thing he says is Thomas. Who's he addressed first? Thomas who we call Doubting Thomas. He said, Thomas, reach out your hand. Here, you can, you can touch, you can see. Here are my hands. Here are the nail marks. Put your hand on my side where the spear was. You can tell. 
Thomas, this is the real deal. This is me. You see, even though they would have recognized him as Jesus, it would be hard to convince yourself in your mind that that's a guy you saw die standing in the room with you right now. And your mind would have been going through all kinds of scenarios, right? It, could it really be him? Is it a ghost? You know, who, what is this? Is this somebody that looks like Jesus? You, your mind would have been going everywhere. And, and Jesus immediately says, touch my hand and my side. I want you to know that this is me, Thomas. You see, I think Jesus understood better than anyone that Thomas had just been trying to protect himself with his doubt and he had compassion on him which leads to the second point today and that's this Jesus is not afraid of our doubt not only is he not afraid of it he's not angered by it either he's not afraid of our doubt and he's not angered by it Verse 28 and 29, after Thomas touches, you know, sees for himself, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There are many in their Christian walk who go through periods of doubt. Sometimes it's just brief moments. Sometimes it lasts longer. Uh, sometimes you go through some tragic loss and you're questioning God, questioning why you believed in him and he let this happen, right? Why, why would God let this happen to me? And that's not unlike what the disciples were feeling. We, Jesus, we trusted you completely. We left everything. Why would you let this happen when he went to that cross? And died there. See, our vision is so limited, isn't it? We can only see this far, and God sees all of it. He knows the whole story. We don't. That's where faith comes in. That's where knowing God well enough to trust Him, even when you don't see, is important. Because here's the thing about doubt it can either lead you to take some really good steps. Or it can lead you to take some really bad steps. See, there are people who doubt and who quickly walk away because they doubted. And I actually don't think that's honest doubt when you handle it that way. The way I define doubt is it means you're not sure, but you want to find out the truth. That's honest doubt. Dishonest doubt is, that can't be true, so I'm just going to write it off and, and go walk away to something else. You don't even try to research, to dig, to struggle with it, to find out what's really true. I love how Jesus recognizes that Thomas is just struggling with this. It doesn't mean he's not a good person in the way we would judge, you know, good or bad. It doesn't mean he's doing something awful because Thomas is there, Right? He hasn't walked away. He has doubts. He has concerns, but he hasn't walked away. He's still there to see Jesus when he shows up in that room. My encouragement to you today is, is if you're struggling with doubt, don't walk away. Hang around long enough to see what Jesus will do. 
hang around long enough to see the rest of the story without walking away from it. Because if you walk away, you're going to miss it. What if Thomas hadn't showed up that night in that room? We don't know what would have happened, but we may have lost him to the faith forever. But he was there. He didn't walk away. Jesus, in his response to Thomas, tells us something too. If we have honest doubt and we don't walk away, Jesus shows up for you. He does. Maybe not the way you thought. Maybe not the timing in which you thought. Maybe not in the events that you thought. But Jesus will show up for those who don't walk away. Because more than anything else, he wants you in your doubting to seek the truth. And if you're seeking the truth, he wants to help you find it. Because he is the truth. And if you're an honest truth seeker, even in your doubts, Jesus will honor that. And he will come to you too in a way that can show you that he is who he claims to be and he can do what he claims he can do. The disciple we call Doubting Thomas gives a wonderful testimony in these verses, doesn't he? He says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Does that sound like doubting Thomas to you? No. I think it's time we took that label off of Thomas. He sought the truth. He was there. Jesus showed up for him. Gave him the evidence that he needed. And Thomas cried out, my Lord and my God. No doubt in that statement, friends. Absolute assurance. You see, the, the hope was there all along, but it's reinforced to the place now because he sought it. He sought the truth. He looked at the evidence and the hope was made sure and certain in Thomas's heart and Thomas's mind. That's the hope of Scripture. It's not, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's not the hope of Scripture. The hope of Scripture is, I'm sure even if it rains, God's got this, right? That's the hope of Scripture. Thomas. Thomas had the hope. It, it, it's so closely akin to the word we translate faith. It's where you put your trust in something so much that you know it to be true, like it's already happened, okay? Even before it happens. And here is Thomas coming to that place. And that leads to the last point today, and that's this. Trust, doubt is erased by trust. It's erased by trust. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, no more doubt, only trust. Thomas had firsthand evidence that came directly from the source, and it caused his doubts to melt away. But Jesus says, oh, well, Thomas, that's, a, that's great, and, and, and you've believed, and I love that, but blessed are those. You see, Jesus immediately shifts from Thomas and that group of disciples to you and me. He immediately shifts to us. He says, yeah, but man, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I wasn't in that room, were you? No. I didn't get to put my hand on his hand and see the scar or place my hand on his side in that room. But you know what I do? I trust. I believe. I have a hope, an assurance that drives me in my life. Does that mean I never struggle with any doubt? No. 
It means I know where to go with it when I have it. So where do you go with the struggle, with the wrestling, with the doubt? You go to the evidence. You go to the testimony. You go to the record that we have that we can base our hope in and our trust in. You see, the scriptures are full of firsthand accounts of the resurrected Lord. People who were there. I love how, how uh, John introduces, First uh, John, you know, uh, what we've seen with our own eyes, what we've touched with our own hands. Right? All of those things. He says, we were right there. We saw it for ourselves. You say, well, people have lied about stuff before. Yeah, almost always when they get something out of it, right? When it's to their advantage to do it, they will lie to you about things. See, when somebody is in a position where they're going to make a whole lot of money off of this, if I believe it, then I'm more skeptical than what they're telling me. If I see that what they're going to do is make a lot of money off of this, if I believe it. But if by telling me that they're risking everything, but they stick to their story and want me to believe it too, that has more credibility with me. How about you? You see, neither John or Thomas or any of these other guys, from a worldly standpoint, had anything to gain by saying we saw Jesus alive again. That he is resurrected, that he's Lord and Savior. It didn't gain them any popularity, just the opposite. It didn't gain them any income, any ability to make income. It didn't, it didn't advance their careers in any way. It didn't give them any advantage politically at all. In fact, just the opposite. To say that they had seen Jesus alive again. But testimony after testimony after testimony, they all consistently said, we've seen him. We know he's alive. We spent time with him. The scripture says that over a period of 40 days, he appeared to them uh, so many times. And, and, and over 500 at one time were there when he appeared one time. I mean, there's, there's so many eyewitness testimonies to the resurrected Lord. People that were there at the time who saw him and touched him. They even had breakfast with him on the beach one time after he had risen from the dead when they were out fishing and he called them in. You see, he gave them the kind of evidence that would lead them to be able to leave us the testimony that we could trust. And it's not just that. It's not just their eyewitness testimony. I mean, throughout the ages... Here's what we've seen. We've seen Jesus and those who put their faith in Jesus. We've seen God do miraculously great and wonderful things in the name of Jesus throughout history. We've seen it here at Lakeshore time and time again. Lives changed. People who were broken, healed and redeemed. Families healed, marriages strengthened and healed. Even those who went through divorce, they've been healed and restored in their walk and gone on to blessings in their lives. Jesus has done amazing things. He's still doing amazing things even today. That's why it says pray in the name of Jesus because he's alive and powerful and still at work in the world today. 
Yeah, you wrestle with doubt. Okay, go to the source. Look at the evidence. There's so much evidence out there. I love what Jesus said. Uh, John's gospel, you could just look through all the way through. There's so many evidences given by John, and all the gospels do this. But look at John 8, verse 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do for you? Set you free. Well, notice the order of things he says. The first order is hold to my teaching, which means you've got to accept it. You've got to believe it and act on it. He says, now, if you do that, here's what's going to happen. It's going to prove itself to be true. You see, if you hold to my teachings, he says, then you're really my disciples. And only then, as you start following me, following the truth of my teaching, will you discover the truth about things. And when you discover the truth about things, it's the most freeing thing in the world. You're not deceived anymore by the lies that the world is throwing at you anymore. You see, when you know the truth, you recognize the lies now that the world is trying to tell you. Well, how do you know the truth? You have to learn it. Right? You have to hear it. You have to know what it says. And then you have to act on it. And as you act on it, as you live it out, you discover the truthfulness of it. And it's reinforced in your heart and your mind that Jesus told us the truth about this stuff. And when you start realizing he told you the truth about this, and then he told you the truth about that, and then he told you the truth about that, here's what happens. Is your trust begins to grow in Jesus. So that when you're struggling with your doubts... It's not just about the information. It's about the person who told you this. He's been truthful to you about everything else. Why would he lie to you about this? You can trust what Jesus tells you. And it will set you free from where doubt could take you if you were to let it control you and cause you to walk away. Later on in John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he knows he's, they're about to witness all the stuff that's about to transpire where he's going to be arrested and, and crucified. He knows they're going to be you know, just shocked by everything that's happening. So he tries to reassure them in verse 1 of John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. So what's he telling them to do? Trust, believe, right? Then he says this. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going in to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. He said, you know the place, the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, here's Thomas again, right? Says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I love that Thomas asked that question. Why? Because it's an honest doubting question. It's not saying, oh, Jesus, I don't believe that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus, we don't understand it. Explain it to us. Give us the evidence. Give us the information we need to put our trust in what you're telling us. And Jesus answers that question by this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. You see, he understood that in the crux of the crisis of the moment when they saw Jesus die on the cross, they needed more than anything else, not all the information they needed to know they could trust Jesus even then. Even with him dead on the cross, they could still trust Jesus. Even in the news on the phone, you never thought you'd get that rocks your world. Trust Jesus. 
Even when the marriage is not healed and you have to move forward, trust Jesus. Even when the illness doesn't seem to have any hope, trust Jesus. Even when he's dead on the cross, trust Jesus. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. I love after this encounter with Thomas and the other disciples. He goes on to say in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You know what that tells me about the heart of God? He knows we're going to have doubts. We're going to have struggles. So he said, listen, we gave you this evidence. We made sure, I made sure you were going to have all the evidence you need that if it's honest doubt and you truly seek out what is real and true, I've given you the evidence that you can see and believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Friends, if you're struggling with doubt right now or you find yourself struggling in the future, there, there's some great books out there. There's a whole field of study called Christian Apologetics. It's a great field of study. If you're one of these that wants to see evidence, you know, can I rely on the scripture? Or, you know, is there really evidence for the resurrection that I can trust? You know, there, there are people who've really done a good job of putting that together, like Josh McDowell and Evidence that Demands a Verdict, Lee Strobel and The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. There's so many books like that out there that organize it for you, that give you an organized presentation of all the, the fulfilled prophecies that are there. All of those things are in those books like that. And it's good if you're really struggling to go somewhere. Be honest with your doubt. Don't just write it off. Don't walk away. Look at the evidence. That's what he's saying here in John 20. I have made sure these things were written down so that you can see the evidence that's there. So you can have a firm belief, a sure hope in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for how Jesus handled Thomas. Even though we call him Doubting Thomas, Jesus showed him compassion and care. And he wasn't angry with Thomas for struggling with doubt. He understood that Thomas needed evidence. And Father, I thank you that you understand we need it too. And you've given us that evidence in your word and the historical record and so many ways and fulfilled prophecies. You've given us all of this evidence upon which to base our faith and put our trust in you. Father, I pray that for someone today struggling with doubt, that they would be honest with their doubt and they would know they could come to you with it. And if they come to you honestly seeking truth, you make sure you're there for them and you will find you will find them where they are and help them see the truth of who you are. Father, I pray that if anyone today is ready to put their trust in you and follow after your son Jesus, that today they would take that step of faith and obedience to your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.